Welcome to another edition of the podcast. And I'm sat here with good friend and previous interviewee in the Reasons to be Cheerful Communion series. I'm sat here with Will from Two Fields Across. Good to be here. Will, tell us a bit about yourself in case people haven't gone back into the rich undergrowth that is the communion. Tell me a bit about yourself and what you do. So my brother and I are olive farmers in Crete in Greece, and we produce small batches of extra virgin olive oil in harmony with nature using regenerative farming methods. And it kind of all started back when we went on holiday as a family and my brother met Eleni, his now wife, and fell in love and moved to Zakros to be with her. And this kind of unexpected journey unraveled from there. Your story is amazing and, and people can read about it and they can, they can find out, out about it online and they can listen to or watch the communion talk that you did. But there's that whole like chasing love. Actually, what you really caught or what was caught was a whole new life and a whole way of being that was two years ahead of the big trends and shifts that we've seen in agriculture and that embracing of soil health first agriculture rather than depleting, ploughing, leaving the soil uncovered, having to add chemical additives. You do it in a different way. Now, the words are loaded. The word regenerative agriculture already carries a number of issues around it. Can you just briefly explain the difference in the way you farm to the way the generation of 20 years ago farmed olives? Yeah, it's really interesting because when we started, we started with the idea that we had discovered this beautiful craft in Zakros that had been passed down generations and generations. And it's kind of the lifeblood of the village. And so everyone farms and everyone's connected to farming and it's, it's identity. But we also, for the first time ever, saw the food system up close. And we realized the pressure that was putting on farmers. And it's really interesting because we started to have conversations where we separated craft and farming. And I think that's really important because otherwise you can get caught up in accidentally blaming people about the way they're doing things. And the reality is that just because someone in Zacros is farming in a conventional way doesn't mean they don't have lots of skill and understanding and craft around olives. That's really interesting. So what you just described is the fact that the system's gone the wrong way, doesn't remove maybe the passion, but definitely the ability of the people within the system to do it a better way. Exactly. This is generational knowledge. This is honed over years and years and years. But as you're in a closed system, you know, you imagine a farmer who's never left Greece, never left Crete, never left Zacros, and has only one option of how to sell and make a living, and that's 100% of their living then the terms and the system dictate what happens. And so what happens is, you know, at one point someone came along with chemicals and they were a miracle cure. If someone had said, you know, with farming, we can reduce your risks, we can increase your yields, and it's some, you know, smart, clever person from a place you've never been before, you know, in a bright city, you would be a fool not to jump at that opportunity and to embrace chemicals back when that chemical revolution was happening. But the reality is it's created monocultures, it's creating little natural resistance, and everything's becoming a lot more fragile. And so the system is a race to the bottom, and it's everything's focused on quantity. And what happens is everything else gets kind of put aside. 
And so every year you're pushed down on price and you have to make more just to get the same livelihood. And so if you have a pest problem and you, know, you spray chemicals to deal with that, and then the pests become more resistant, what's the answer? We spray more chemicals. And you just get trapped in this cycle. Well, you've got a degenerative cycle there. And it's interesting, listening to you speak, two things popped into my mind. And I've instantly forgotten the second one, so I'll go with the first one. This whole idea of adding a chemical and getting a yield boost, that happens, absolutely. But each year, less boost occurs. And adding a chemical and removing pests, as you say, results in a resistance to the chemical and therefore the requirement to add more. Now, only 16% of the chemicals we place on our crops get absorbed by our crops or are active against the pests. Where's the rest go, Will? Well, it's going in the sea. And do you know, this is the thing that I think is really important. There's two things. Number one is chemicals work, but what they do is, I put in quotation marks, they guarantee you a crop this year but they do not guarantee you a crop in 10 years or I 20 years or 25 years. And when you're living on the edge and everything you grow and sell feeds your family and you have the risks of nature and things are out of your control, then you take the short option. You know, you try and limit your risk as much as possible. And the other thing is we need to talk about food systems, not farming. And the problem is the conversation has become especially early in the conversation, these farmers are farming badly. It's, you know, and then we start pointing fingers and we start blaming people. And actually, we have systems that encourage certain things and we have systems that need to change in order to champion the right values and the right things so we can make progress. And you can't blame anybody for adopting this new high chemical input approach because as you say, in a world where variation in climate variation in rainfall, variation in yield are normal. The fear is this year will be subnormal and consequently throw some chemicals at it, life gets better. But of course, there's only one company getting rich from that. Well, here's, here's the interesting thing. I think if I was to put it bluntly, I would say that what we have is we have, you know, and this isn't just Sacros and this isn't just olives. This is a food industry and farming at large, is we have olive trees addicted to chemicals and on chemical life support. And that is really not a good position to be in. Brilliant. You've reminded me of the other thing I wanted to talk about. Thank you for that. The question I was going to ask was, this sounds to me exactly the same as the drugs industry. When I say drugs industry, of drugs. And when I say drugs, I mean, I mean narcotics, I mean, I mean illegal drugs. Your first hit of any drug is the hit. And then you're chasing the memory of that. And it's very similar in the way you've just described the use of chemicals in agricultural systems to get that boost. And then you're never going to get there again with the same amount. You've always got to add more or you've always got to grow more and add more at the same time. There's, there's something that's, that is around chasing the dragon. And that is really scary. And you're completely right because it's creating food that's not as nourishing and as good for us. It's squeezing the farmer and putting the farmer on the edge and it's bad for the environment. And so if someone sat down to you and said, we're going to build a system and it's bad for the farmers and it's bad for the planet and it's bad for the end consumer, shall we go with that one? And you think, who is it good for? Well, there is only one answer, right? And it's not you and it's not me and it's not the people of Zacros. 
No, and, and you know, it's a really lovely and stark way of explaining it. And I've heard something similar in a different area, but also to do with food. Robert Lustig, the medical pediatrician who talks about sugar and the way that sugar was replaced by high fructose corn syrup, both being equally bad, but one being half the price of the other and the third more sweet. He has now done a lot of work into fast food as well as sweetness. And he described it. He said, if, you know, if you were to design the system of fast food delivery where every single person in the system got worse off, you would not launch that. And yet we did. And yet every single person in that system is worse off, apart from fast food manufacturers. And we've not inherited them. We've tolerated these systems. I mean, food is the building block of life, right? Food is the thing that, that makes us strong or makes us weak. Food is the thing that allows us to grow or encourages us to be ill. And to see it in those terms, super important. And the magical thing about food as well is that it's the thing that connects us all. Mm. And so I think my relationship with food has changed dramatically since going to Greece because we became part of the community, we became part of a family and over a language barrier, although my brother speaks fluent Greek now, over a language barrier, food was the thing that connected us. And food is how we built relationships and shared memories. And so I think that's the kind of hope as well. As much as industrial farming and food has been a problem, it can also be the solution and it can be the thing that connects us all to make a huge step in making a change. I love it. And look, you know, if people are interested in your olive oil and there's a whole load of associated products, herbs, teas and lots of things that you produce, they can find you at your website, which we'll put in, in the show notes. But I was just struck and I'm going to drop this in. You bought some olive oil for me to taste today, which comes from seven forgotten trees at the bottom of a gorge that were financially unviable because everyone was mixing all of their olive oil together and selling it collectively at a really low price. Your olive oil is the best olive oil I've ever had. This is better than your olive oil. I know it's your olive oil, right? I have never had olive oil like it. How did the old system work and how were the way that you were proposing to change things? How did that go down? I think there's so much in that. It's interesting because if we have time, I'd love to kind of dive into the regenerative practices we do and all of that stuff. But we're having a conversation with people about how we farm and what we do. And actually, you know, just down from us in the gorge, there's seven trees that are working in harmony with nature in an almost, you know, perfectly regenerative bubble and you're saying like you know that's how we're doing it what's interesting is when we started exploring quote-unquote regenerative farming in 2015 we'd never heard the term regenerative we didn't know anything about that space but what we did was we fell in love with soil health microbes and fungi and we just went on a you know wormhole of all of these things and it was only a couple of years later that i ended up going to an event in cornwall and we started hearing this term, we started hearing this kind of buzz and I thought, hang on a minute, that's what we do. <laughs> we kind of learn what we did, if that makes sense. And so we've, we've never shouted or been abrasive about the way we do things. We've been doing things quietly in our little corner and 
we live in a very small place in a small village and people find out what you're doing and ask questions and there is interest there and i think there's interest for a, a lot of different reasons one is because when we took over two fields particularly one of them was very kind of run down and needed a lot of care and attention and within a couple of years we saw you know a lot of progress and people saying i don't know what you're doing but whatever you're doing is really working and it's both through seeing those things and kind of that would be i guess the positive enticement to be regenerative seeing all the positive stuff but the reality is the negative system driving people away as well you know people looking for an alternative so it's push as well as pull i think so you know and we can talk about some specific things but for a community whose livelihood is based on fertile land and producing olive oil it's a pretty bleak future it's really hard to produce food now it's becoming you know we spent 2 months in category 4 out of 5 wildfire risk this summer yeah so you know and you're sitting at home watching villages exactly like that crossbones in the ground or you're waiting for a drop of rain and you're looking around and and when it does rain the soil isn't healthy enough so the infiltration rates aren't good and it's not being utilized yeah. you know and it's just running off and there's all these kind of different elements to go into it i didn't really ask your question but no but you gave me a brilliant answer <laughs> to it an even better question so i lo- i love what you do and the fact that you were ahead of the terminology obviously people have been farming regeneratively for years but you've taken something that used to happen and reapplied it in a world where it doesn't happen anymore so there's two big things there i think one is we're deeply inspired and connected to nature in the sense that we have olive trees and if i could boil it down to one thing i would say if there was a spectrum and at one end there's a farm and at the other end there's a forest we're trying to be more like a forest than a farm oh, lovely you know that is everything it comes down to that's really lovely and we met and you were at university i lectured twice to you as i found out recently i didn't realize then at the time and what you and harry have done and elaine have done is astonishing what are you going to do next tell me about the new ideas you've got i will say just before we move on to that that the second thing is and this links into what we're going to talk about next but Sacros is a very unique place in the fact that it's lots of small families and lots of small scale farming. So, you know, we have two fields, 200 olive trees, that's 2 acres. That means the barriers to change are different. But the other amazing thing about Sacros is people live a really long time. And my grandfather-in-law or our grandfather-in-law is 95. He's farmed olives all his life and He found olives before the chemical revolution. He's living memory and he watched chemical revolution happening. And so, you know, we can get into specifics like collecting and culturing microbes and microbial teas and all this stuff. But I was speaking with my kind of young friends in Greece recently, we're having a drink and I was saying about what we're, you know, talking a bit more about what we're doing and and it's really interesting around cultural context. So, in England, we talk a lot about regenerative farming. and I talk about the future of food and we talk about how we're going to do this and how we're going to do you know and it's all very kind of I'm a romantic idealist change maker kind of vibe and I love it <laughs> but 
someone who wants to feed their family and have a secure income doesn't need a 26-year-old you know, English guy saying, we're going to do all this. And so I was speaking to my friends and I said, oh, talked a bit about microbes, I talked a bit about soil health, and they're trying to get their head around what we're doing. And then I said, oh, we're planting crops. And so the shepherds used to plant crops to feed their sheep in their olive trees, and it was called, I believe, Vico. And so I said, oh, we're planting crops, and once we plant the crops for the soil, we're going to get the sheep in, the sheep are going to graze, and we're going to build this holistic system. And as soon as I said that, they went, oh, you're farming like the old way. And I was like, that's it, right? You know, there's a little bit of extra stuff, you know, but yes, that's it. In its essence, yes. And so what we're able to do is we're able to have the same conversation in a different cultural context by talking about sheep farmers and Vico. And it's about access to a conversation and how you're allowing change. And I think that's super fascinating. It's really interesting, isn't it? If you roll back a thousand years here in the UK, we did what we would call regenerative agriculture. We did crop cover over winter, we did rotational system, we had mixed agriculture. We've forgotten what we know. Yeah, and so Grandpa Manoli, he had olive trees, he planted crops around his olive trees, he had chicken and sheep, and, you know, he didn't know what the word organic or regenerative meant. It was out of self-sufficiency and utilising. So what's, I think, particularly cool about Zacros is that that's living memory, and I think in some cases we've forgotten that, but it's hard to forget about that when he's walking down the street to his chickens every day. And I was saying, you know, it wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't. It, w- it really wasn't. So the kind of the next step for us is really exciting. And we've reached a really exciting place with two fields. And we spent a lot of time, you know, before we even launched the business of two fields, we, we spent a couple of years farming in the way we wanted to farm to get the trees where we wanted And then we had an amazing response to launching, and that was a complete experiment. We brought one pallet over, and we wondered whether anyone would care about the ways we were doing things. And we were really, actually really inspired by people caring, and that they wanted to be part of the conversation. And so batch one sold out really quickly, and, you know, with regenerative work and with good rainfall and sunshine, and we uh, doubled our harvest, our yield, and batch two sold out really quickly. And we were starting to build our own independent system, going to delis, going direct to consumer, shortening the supply chain. And what we talk about a lot is, you know, we do use the word regenerative. We do talk about those things. But beyond that, we're completely focused on transparency. It doesn't matter what the word is. It doesn't matter what this. You can look up and read about every single practice we do in the farm, everything that, you know, doesn't go quite right. Like right now, we've, we've got a cover crop in the ground and it's been a bit colder than we thought and we don't know whether it's going to grow and but that's nature that's that's part there, right? of it. yeah exactly and so we became apprentices to yanni eleni's father-in-law and he accepted us as family and taught us like sons and he became interested in regenerative and the plan was that he would join us and we would be able to give back to him and we would be able to almost teach him something like he taught us everything and then very sadly and unexpectedly, last year he passed away. And it was this earth-shattering, world-stopping kind of moment for us. And it was really, really tough. And I think in those moments, in grief and in those moments, you stop and reflect on everything. And, you know, I think we really grasped how 
lucky we are and how privileged we are to be accepted into a community and to be passed on a craft that's been passed on generation and generation and generation. And I think the question for us is after that, thinking about being part of something bigger than ourselves, what does that mean? And also, what's the future mm. for our community when, you know, when the farming system is like that? And so we spent a year thinking about that and re really, really thinking about that. And I think the reality is it's really heartbreaking, but we never got the chance to help Yanni. And that is something that we kind of live with and is difficult for us. But that doesn't mean we won't get the chance to build something better and to help our community. And so we've been working on it for a year, but imminently launching a social regenerative project. And the idea is we're working with farmers on the ground to teach them regenerative methods, building a roadmap with them. We're providing secure and fair livelihoods. And we're partnering with restaurants and bakeries and kitchens in the UK for food businesses who want to be part of it and be change makers and go direct. And, you know, that last year or two of Yanni's life, we watched as fertilizer prices rose to the highest they'd ever been. The system squeezed him. We watched, you know, his livelihood in a year get cut in half. And there's one thing to know about a system and there's one thing to feel it so personally and to experience the stress and the, the difficulty of going through that. And so I think we realized that We've always struggled with the idea of scale. And I remember I gave a talk at The Good Life mm -hmm. with you a few years ago. You kindly invited us. And someone said, but what are you going to do? What can two fields really change? That stuck with me so much. How are you going to grow? And I said, I don't know how we're going to grow. And I don't know if we need to grow. And I said, you know, what can two fields really change? Maybe nothing or maybe everything. You know, these things start small, they're seeds. We sat with that for four years, that idea of scale. And Zacross is built up of many small-scale farming. And it wouldn't be true to the craft and it wouldn't be true to our home if we suddenly started buying thousands of olive trees, right? And so we had a choice. How do you scale? And we decided we would scale not in the trees we bought, but the impact we can have. And so why don't we go and help however many families we can rather than buy as many trees as we could? Well, that sounds, I mean, utterly inspiring. It sounds appropriately scaled. It sounds really exciting. How are people responding in Zacros? And what impact are you going to have? I think there's something really interesting here, and we've touched on it already, but I think previously, I guess I had a dream that everyone who would want to become part of the project would be a regenerative superhero and want to change and have these kind of big, grand ideas and, you know, have a certain kind of mindset around that. But the reality is that there's some people who just want a secure livelihood and yeah. they just want to put food on the table and they just want to provide for their family. And that is as good or better reason than any to come on the project, you know, yeah. 
And I think that's just a really interesting thing to think about because I think we can get lost in the environmental heroism of everything. Yeah, I, I hear that. But these are the realities. And so we have different people coming on board with the project for different motivations. And, you know, that's good and great and important. I love it. And, you know, you said something that was really quite moving. You said Yanni had helped you, but you hadn't been able to help him. I think you had. I remember you talking about the situation and bringing old ways back to the fore. And I remember, I don't think you used these words, but I remember thinking to myself, oh, there's a little bit of resistance there from Yanni. The new ways being in his mind better, that's the way he'd been taught. I think what you've given to Yanni, what you gave to Yanni before he died, was I think you gave him some hope about the way that the town can continue to grow. I think he saw in you something that he'd lost in himself. And I think that's the biggest gift of all. I hope so, you know, and, and it's difficult to talk about. But I remember just after he passed away, Eleni's cousin phoned. And you know what? It's so weird and strange how these things work because we all traveled to Greece and Harry met Eleni and he fell in love and he changed everything. You know, his whole life changed from that point, as did all of our lives. And Yanni wasn't actually from Zakros. He was from Lathinus, a stone throw away, a different village. And he had come to Zakros and he had met Katerina and fallen in love, his wife, and stayed. After he passed away, Eleni's cousin phoned. Eleni's cousin, I'm going to try and keep her straight <laughs> to say this. This will be difficult. But Eleni's cousin said, you know, Yanni came to Zakros with nothing absolutely nothing apart from two assets each of his hands and everything you have ever had Yanni built with his two hands and I just think for someone to do that and then you know in giving and passing on his craft giving us a life you know everything we go on to do came from those two hands that's amazing and it's just it's just incredible I'm from two hands to two fields to two brothers. And this social project you're running, connecting people back to the way food should be produced, the way food always was produced. And I was really struck by what you said. You use chemicals and you guarantee your yield this year. You can't guarantee your yield in 10 years. We've done more harm to the soil than we'll ever know. I remember the very first time we met, which was about seven years ago now, and you described what you were doing, I just remember thinking, audacious, brave, slightly bit bonkers. I love it. And it's just grown, and to watch you grow and to watch you sell out of oil every year and have to change your business model so you can do other things. And I'm gonna go back to those seven trees at the bottom of that gorge. I have never had olive oil like it. I'm so excited to, let Nicola try it. And I know you've got special plans for that, which I'm not going to reveal here, but you're doing much more good than you realise. So thank you. No, thank you for, for having me in.
for chatting. Really enjoyed it. Come back next year, we'll do another. I mean that. That would be great. So thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch with Will, you can come via me or the web address, Will, is twofieldsacross.com. There you go. Thank you, everyone. Cheers.